Hello, captives and captive friends, and welcome to episode 61 of the Global Captive Podcast, supported by legacy specialists R&Q and hosted by me, Richard Kutcher. If you are new to GCP or listen it's intermittently, then the best way to make sure you are notified of every new episode and have it downloaded straight to your device is to make sure you are subscribed on any podcast app. Just search for Global Captive Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Castbox, or even ask Alexa to play Global Captive Podcasts uh, and she will do so for you. You will find us on every single podcast platform out there. Just hit subscribe or follow. Now, over the past year particularly, we have produced episodes on several emerging markets for captives, including Asia and Latin America. And in 2020, we opened the series with a focus on South Africa. But one region we have never discussed in great detail is the Middle East. So I am delighted that in GCP 61, we have two guests uh, expert in this market. Later, we will hear from David Shupak, EMEA Regional Director at Maxis Global Benefits Network, who gives us some insight on what is happening with regards to EB in the region. But I am very happy to introduce our guest co-host for the episode, Ronnie Vallecoup, Senior Executive Officer for Marsh Captive Solutions based in Dubai. Ronnie, welcome to the pod. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. So, Ronnie, uh, perhaps a, a good way to start and to introduce you to our listeners. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your role at Marsh? Yeah, Richard, my, uh, my role at Marsh is um, that I'm the Senior Executive Officer and Regional Practice Leader for Marsh Captive Solutions in the Middle East. And in my role, I'm responsible for the overall development and growth of Marsh's Captive Solutions practice with offices in the Dubai International Financial Center and Abu Dhabi Global Markets, which are basically the two main regional financial centers in the Middle East that have implemented attractive captive legislation. Now, in my role, we basically enable our corporate and semi-government clients to own their in-house captive insurance company for the purpose of self-insuring their own assets and liabilities without incurring the high infrastructure and staffing costs you would normally see with a traditional commercial insurer. Now, in my role, I'm leading a professional team who work with our clients every step of the way from the captive feasibility to captive implementation through to its active day-to-day management and administration. Now, further in my role, I'm also responsible for the client service delivery from our various sub-disciplines, such as captive actuarial practice, who engage with clients in respect of the captive feasibility studies. Uh, And once the captive is operational, they're involved with the captive program structuring, captive program pricing, as well as reserving. I'm also responsible for uh, the captive management practice, and they are responsible for the day-to-day management and administration of the captives that we have under management, which includes the provision of underwriting, claims, accounting, compliance, AML, risk, and corporate secretarial functions to the captives under our management on an outsourced basis. In that respect, my role is a bit like an asset manager, I guess, with the assets under management being the captive insurance companies owned by our clients, providing all the necessary functions you would normally see within any other commercial insurer, but then provided by Marsh on an outsource basis. Right. So plenty, plenty of responsibility there then, Ronnie, it sounds like uh, for you in, in, the, in the Dubai office. Um, we know then that the Middle East is home to many, many very large companies, uh, particularly in areas such as energy and and real estate, uh, but many other sectors as well. How would you assess the the maturity of of risk financing at at these organizations? Well, Richard, that really depends um, and varies from corporation to corporation. And their thinking in respect of of governance, oversight, balance sheet protection, risk management, risk finance strategy, health and safety, and their overall insurance procurement uh, strategy. So just as, as an example, I still see regional corporations 
situations whereby the corporate uh, insurance needs are still being purchased by the corporate procurement department with pricing being the main uh, factor. These corporations have no dedicated corporate insurance department and do not monitor their losses or have no accurate loss data. Now, the result is that those corporations always get the worst offering from the commercial markets because they try to do it all themselves. But what we see with the more sophisticated uh, corporations is that they have corporate insurance departments, often part of corporate finance or corporate treasury, with a dedicated group insurance manager, claims manager, and admin support. And what we see that is with those organizations, it is the group insurance manager, as opposed to the group procurement department, who makes the decisions what insurance coverage are to be bought in terms of who negotiate the terms and conditions, the deductible levels, and premium levels with insurers to ensure the most optimum balance sheet protection um, for the group. In these situations, the group procurement uh, department plays not a major role and all decisions are technically made by the corporate insurance manager. There are particularly those organizations that are um, very well suited for the captive, uh, for a captive solution. And that is really what we're focusing on. So obviously, uh, we know there's been a kind of a challenging insurance market environment for the past couple of years and, and that's prompted new interest in captives all around the world and, and in, in the Middle East as well, which we'll come on to. But I'm just interested, you know, prior to 2019, before the, the market turned, what kind of interest in, in captives were you experiencing before that market uh, environment changed? Well, during the soft market cycle prior to 2019, the, the rates were so low that, yeah, basically the market was very competitive and there was not so much an interest in captives. And I, th- I think we've seen that not just in the Middle East, but it's been uh, seen sort of globally. Now, since 2019, uh, we have seen the commercial premium rates firming up. And that was one of the catalysts that uh, increased the overall interest in the captive concepts among our corporate clients. And again, we don't see that just in the Middle East. We see that uh, on, at a global level. So naturally, we as Mars Captive Solutions have also done a lot of captive promotion and education over the years across the Middle East region. And with some well-known regional groups now owning owning captives, the con- concept is now much better understood. Particularly now, we see a lot of captive interest and requests from for captive feasibility studies, not only from corporations based in the United Arab Emirates or Saudi, but also from Oman, Kuwait, Qatar, Bahrain, Turkey, Egypt, and and certain parts of Africa. And interestingly enough, we recently incorporated a captive in Dubai with its parent company based in North America. So we see really an increasing interest in in the Middle East. Yeah, so that that kind of brings me on to my next question then, Ronnie, which is, you know, that level of interest that you are receiving now to forming captives. What kinds of companies are are these? You mentioned, obviously, in terms of geography, they're they're spread, but what kind of sectors or what kinds of sizes of companies are are particularly keen to, to explore the captive solution? Well, in the Middle East, we traditionally receive most interest from companies with a capital intensive asset base, such as oil and gas, petrochemicals, other chemicals, power and water utilities, mining, metals, minerals, including the steel and aluminium plants, heavy manufacturing, real estate and infrastructure. Now, globally, that picture is a little different uh, with financial institutions and healthcare operators being the most dominant sectors utilizing captive insurers. But I guess that we haven't seen that as much in the Middle East in terms of captive interest from financial institutions and healthcare operators as those two sectors are highly fragmented among many uh, smaller players across the region, with the exception of a few. 
So obviously, Ronnie, you mentioned that you oversee the the management of captives in in the UAE uh, locally, but I'm aware of only a handful of of Middle Eastern companies that own captives in other uh, established international captive jurisdictions. Is there a reason why that there hasn't been more utilization by the Middle Eastern companies of international jurisdictions? Are there are there any obstacles that prevent uh, these businesses utilizing uh, those jurisdictions? No, well, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I think we actually have two handfuls, or actually three handfuls of um, of captives in the Middle East uh, many, many years ago. Now, of course, Dubai and Abu Dhabi are, are somewhat behind with some of the domiciles that are established in other parts of the world. And what we have seen is that, yeah, prior to 2004, that was basically the, the, the year that the, the Dubai Captive Center was uh, was established. A lot of captives um, had only one option, and that was go outside of the region to establish a captive. However, since the creation of the Dubai International Financial Center in 2004 and, and Abu Dhabi Global Markets in 2015, as new regional captive domiciles, we see more and more Middle Eastern groups establishing their captives here. Uh, and as a matter of fact, there are Middle Eastern groups that have uh, redomiciled the captive from Europe to the Middle East uh, recently. And we expect more to follow due to prudential changes in some of these other well-established captive domiciles. Yeah, that's interesting. So obviously, if the regime is is attractive to have the captive there, and 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 the owners are are confident in the regulation, then they would they will prefer to to move the captive home from from an international jurisdiction. So that that'll be one to to continue to watch out for. So we will be back with Ronnie in the second half of the episode to discuss changes made this year to the buyer's captive regulatory regime and its potential broader appeal as a domicile option. But now let's hear from David Chupak of Maxis Global Benefits Network on the employee benefit side of things. Dave begins by telling us how much interest there is among MENA headquartered multinationals in writing EB through their captive. Yeah, I think I think right now what you're seeing is the the start of many multinationals who are headquartered in the Middle East, even looking at global programs, let alone captives. Um, I think that if you look at at historically where they've been based, um, employee benefits hasn't been a a chief interest in them. But as the Middle East uh, multinationals grow, a lot of them in the financial sector, a lot of them in the telecom sector, they are expanding into markets where they do need to address EB. So while we haven't seen anything yet, okay, or even really um, pre-captive programs, we haven't seen any pools uh, being established yet, it really are... Starting to hear um, the initial sniffs, okay, and these are coming from the PNC side, saying, "Hey, you know, we do have EB programs. We are interested, um, and uh, we we do project that as an area of growth." I think you could look at similarly what you would see probably in in the multi Latinas in Latin America, um, in Asia Pac, that the interest is will be there and it will grow and it will grow rapidly. Yeah, that's really interesting. And yeah, it sounds like it sound follows a, a similar kind of trend to where we, what we've seen elsewhere. So the, the other angle, of course, to kind of the employee benefits discussion in the MENA region is multinationals who may be headquartered elsewhere, European multinationals, American multinationals, but maybe have operations and employees in the MENA region. How common is it for them to include territories in, in MENA, UAE, Egypt, North Africa? How common is it for them to include 
those territories in their EV programs? Um, that is extremely popular. I would say if you look at um, the Maxis book of business, but also our competitors book, um, I would say that EB in from the MENA region is one of the biggest, biggest spots. Um, the programs are very large uh, because of the way that the state systems are set up, especially on the medical side. Um, you do have a, a huge amount of premium. Uh, population sizes are very large. And we, we have seen that the captives have really found this is an area where when they include them in the captives, they could both manage the costs and manage the program. Um, I think throughout the region, you've seen um, requirements coming down from, from the state saying that, that, that companies must provide um, a benefit, okay? And the captives are a way for allowed to really to, for them to, to take ownership of that. What we've seen in some markets is, say, Saudi. Um, you still have uh, where the government requires that some of the risks stay local, okay? So that could be more challenging for a captive program. Um, however, the providers are, 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 are adapting to work with the captive involvement, okay? So where the captive couldn't take exactly 100% of the risk and 100% of the pricing decision, um, they are working with the local providers to be able to do that. Um, so I think that is, that's, a, that's a major strength, um, especially when you're looking to grow to non-foreign um, uh, multinationals. I think that's a major strength that the company's already used to doing it. So the infrastructure is in place. Oh, so yeah. You guys are ready to go when, when there's more local multinationals who are who are keen to do it. So I think you touched on this a little bit uh, before in your first answer, but in terms of the particular sectors or markets that you expect to see from the region maybe take up the EV captive programs in the future, where do you expect, what kind of sectors do you think might be ready to utilize it first? Well, it's interesting. I think that if you look at the Middle East, you see, you know, historically the the, the, the groups that were coming, that had headquarters there, would have been in, in the oil and gas sector, um, in, in the logistics sector. Um, but what you're seeing now is a, is a major growth in the finance sector, okay? The, the Middle East is now a financial hub rather than, than, than you know, uh, a manufacturing hub. Um, so that, I think that could only grow. Um, I'd also see telecom uh, becoming very big as the Middle East becomes a hub, not only for the Middle East region, but also for Central Asia, for North Africa, for Sub-Saharan Africa. I think that the telecoms, you're seeing a lot of, of growth in that sector as well. So you said, obviously, at the start that there hasn't been that, that big take up yet of that kind of international employee benefits, you know, global underwriting or, or captive programs yet. What are then some of those challenges which are holding back that Adoption of EB programs. What is the main second point? Do you think that's stopping them getting to that point? I think that in a lot of the the headquarters of Middle Eastern based companies, um, they are not very centralized. Okay, I think if you look at the sectors that they have been operating in, again, oil and gas, um, that where you have the employees on the ground, EB isn't something that they're really focusing on from a central level. Okay, but as the the sector I guess gets more sophisticated, when you are looking at financial institutions, they are competing for employees. They are going to have to be able to offer programs. How do you do that best by having a centralized approach? And again, how do you have a centralized approach? If you own your own risk, which you do with a captive, that will logically follow through. So then you said, obviously, for those uh, foreign multinationals that have operations in, in the MENA region, uh, they are putting that region into their international employee benefits programs and, and through the captive, uh, which, which is interesting to hear. Are there particular characteristics or, of the healthcare and benefits market in the region that are unique? to MENA, are there particular challenges or things that need to be thought about which maybe don't crop up in America or Asia Pacific or, or Latin America? Sure. I think that if you look from um, from an outpatient
compensation standpoint, okay, for a medical plan, um, the, the, the claims and the plans of that region are extremely large because there is an absence of a GP level, okay? So if an employee needs to get treatment, it goes to a specialist. The costs are extremely high. Um, I think with captives, what the, what the, what the captives have been able to see by the, now the, having these programs in them for more, you know, um, for, for several years, they get to see really what's driving those claims, okay? They really get to then help tailor the programs to really attack the claims and then offer things that aren't particularly being looked at within that market. Mental health issues, okay, which are prevalent everywhere in the world, but aren't as openly discussed in that region. Um, I think by identifying the claims trends in a lot of these programs, multinationals are able to then say, this is a, this is a, um, a, a program that we would like to offer on top of the traditional medical program, which then lends itself to lowering its costs. So I, I think that the, that, that the ability to really take the data out of that region, identify really what's driving the claims, has allowed the, 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 the captives to have a much more successful medical program. So just lastly, Dave, obviously we hear a lot when we talk about employee benefits around the world about medical inflation, and that is often a, a real kind of driver uh, to make companies consider the, the captive and uh, international employee benefits uh, program approach. Uh, how you see medical inflation kind of manifest itself in the MENA region, and, and what are some of the, maybe the, some of the cost drivers that might lead lead companies down this route? Yeah, I think medical inflation, if you look at it on a worldwide basis, the average is about 8%. If you look at MENA, it's over 12, okay, which is significantly higher. Um, why is that? You have um, a lot of services, a lot of drugs or something that is all produced outside of the region. So the, they are, they're very susceptible to, to medical inflation. Uh, prescription drugs, I think, is important. If you look at the MENA region especially, there's not uh, a push for uh, generic drugs, which helps lower the costs in other markets. In the MENA region, you see prescriptions, um, the, 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 the branded drugs being pushed, um, there's no incentive. Um, what, and one of the advantages of having a captive program is that you can start identifying, you know, where are these, are the, is the spend coming to? Is You do see a huge amount of spend on prescription drugs. And then if you internally can then encourage your employees to use generic drugs, you should see costs coming down. Again, this is another advantage to having a captive program in place. The Global Captive Podcast is supported by RQ, the award-winning provider of exit solutions for legacy liabilities and companies in runoff. RQ can provide a wide range of solutions and has A-rated paper across the United States and Europe. LPTs, novations, business transfers and acquisition are all frequently used and tailored to the seller's requirement whether in runoff or fully active but seeking greater efficiency. If you have legacy, you should talk to R&Q. Welcome back to GCP 61, where I am joined by Ronnie Belku of Marsh Captive Solutions. Ronnie, Dubai recently this year uh, in 2021 finalized a new captive regulatory regime. Uh, can you perhaps tell us kind of what has changed and, and do you believe this will make forming captives in Dubai a, a bit more appealing? Yeah, that's correct, uh, Richard, uh, albeit that it was more an update uh, to the previous Prudential Insurance Rulebook rather than introducing an, a new regime. So previously, Dubai had a single regulatory Prudential regime for both commercial insurers and captive insurers. 
In most other captive jurisdictions, captive insurers are subject to a less strict regulatory prudential regime. In order to make the Dubai regulatory captive regime as, a, as attractive as seen in other well-established jurisdictions, Marsh, on behalf of its captive clients, had to apply for a number of regulatory rule modifications or waivers from the standard rules to bring these in line with the, with the other jurisdictions. Now, after a number of years applying for these regulatory rule, modif rule modifications and waivers, the regulator decided to update the Prudential Insurance Rulebook by making these old rule modifications and waivers part of their standard rules. So essentially, Dubai has updated its Prudential Insurance Rulebook, creating specific attractive rules for captives, while the rules for commercial insurers have remained the same. So as a result, captive insurers in Dubai can avail of a very attractive capital regime. Uh, they have limited investment restrictions, including the ability to loan back capital to the parent. There are no resident director requirements, no actuarial reporting requirements for small captives. Uh, there are, is only annual regulatory reporting requirement for uh, small captives. There is now PCC, ICC, and SPV legislation in place for, for captives. And it is also very easy to transfer companies in and out of uh, the Dubai Financial Center from other, from other jurisdictions. There is still a zero-rate corporate income tax and an extensive uh, double taxation uh, treaty network. So all in all, Dubai was already an attractive capital domicile compared to some of the other well-established jurisdictions, but it has just been it has just become a little bit more attractive and more appealing to forming captives here for regional corporations and beyond. Yeah, really interesting. And, and some of those attributes you mentioned there, particularly the cell company legislation, I, I wasn't aware of. And it certainly sounds like a, a more proportional regime, shall we say, than, for example, the, the Sol 22 regime in the EU. So uh, that's re really good to hear that Dubai is kind of stepping up as a, as a real um, appealing location. So is there any interest? You, you mentioned, Ronnie, before that uh, you, you recently set up a captive for a, a North American group uh, and to set up their captive in Dubai. Is there, is there much interest? in Dubai as a, as, a, as a captive domicile for uh, foreign corporates from other parts of the world? Well, traditionally, Dubai has mostly attracted captives owned by corporations from the region. But more recently, we formed um, also a captive here in Dubai, uh, which parent is based in uh, from North America, as you said. So yeah, we, we've recently also received inquiries from African and European-based groups. So Dubai is certainly receiving increased interest from former corporates uh, based uh, outside of the region. We expect this interest in Dubai to increase and to continue, considering the fact that other well-established jurisdictions are in the process of introducing stricter regimes. So yeah, we can only see more interest coming coming in this way. And besides that, Dubai is, of course, extremely strategically positioned in the world between uh, Europe and, and the Middle East and, and, and the Far East. So in that sense, Dubai looks like a very attractive jurisdiction compared to many, many others. So with those um, those changes made this year, um, and you said obviously uh, Dubai as a captive centre has been kind of available since I think 2004. Is it, is it fair to say that Dubai has got a bit of a lead over Abu Dhabi when it when it comes to its development as a as a captive domicile? Yeah, Dubai has this 11-year lead um, as it was established in 2004 over Abu Dhabi, which was only established in 2015. So although the regulatory prudential regimes, uh, including that for captives between Dubai and Abu Dhabi, are very similar, Dubai 
has this um, uh, lead in terms of uh, having a bigger inter- infrastructure. Huh? So we have here domestic uh, reinsurance markets with uh, some big reinsurance players here in the DIFC, including a Lloyd's platform where a number of Lloyd's syndicates are operating f- uh, from. So putting your captive in Dubai gives you access also to an existing reinsurance market and all the other infrastructure is there as well, such as accountants, auditors, actuaries, claim handlers. So yeah, Dubai certainly has that uh, that lead. However, Abu Dhabi is certainly working very hard on, on attracting captives to their jurisdiction. Abu Dhabi already has uh, three captives. Uh, so that certainly um, is expected to grow as well. So in terms of uh, the future then, I think you sound, you sound quite confident uh, about these uh, local jurisdictions that they are they are becoming more appealing obviously only a currently a handful of, of or a couple of handfuls of captives in in dubai and then as you say free in abu dhabi what do you think what do you think the ultimate potential is for dubai then and the and the wider region to really become a a, a real international hub for captive insurance Basically, look, there are currently approximately 15 Middle Eastern organizations with captives today, with most of these captives established in the last two or four years. Um, so you, you can see that particularly in the last number of years, the, the interest in captive has, has certainly increased. We believe that with the continued economic growth, the ever-growing regional corporations, the increased sophistication and focus on risk management and risk finance, that more and more companies from the region will opt for a self-insurance solution through a captive insurance company. And Dubai is certainly well positioned with its world-class infrastructure to capitalize on this expected captive growth. Fantastic. Well, Ronnie, uh, it's been really good to hear that update. I think it's good for our listeners to hear what is uh, happening and what's developing in the Middle East and, and particularly with Dubai and Abu Dhabi regarding captives. So certainly one for all of us to keep an eye on to see how it grows in the future. But that is all we have time for in GCP 61. Thank you to both of our guests, David Shupak of Maxis Global Benefits Network and to you, Ronnie, of Marsh Captive Solutions in Dubai. Thanks for uh, coming on and being our guest co-host uh, in this episode. Thank you, Richard. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well, and see you next time, captains. 